Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and as usual, we are here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. We have a really amazing guest today. His name is Richard Nowaki. We're going to talk about Freemasonry. It's the 33rd episode, after all. It only seems fitting that we should tackle the subject of Freemasonry. But first, before we talk to Rich, I need you to do something for me. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That's the address where you go to to find us on Instagram. Follow us there as we build up more followers. What these people, the guests on this show, the information they're sharing, it gets out to more people. It's how we spread the word in this digital age. Please follow us there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go find your podcast, please click the button that connects us with you because you want to know about us. Lastly, one last thing, tell a friend, tell your friend that you know that loves to talk about what we're talking about today. Really cool, heady stuff. Tell that person, tell your friends, your family, your coworkers, everyone, midnighthunter.com. And before one last thing before we talk to Richard. I got to read his bio. How are we going to know about this guy if I don't read his bio? Rich Nowaki is a free-thinking millennial and a passionate Freemason. He is a past master of Park Roads Lodge number 179 and a past wise master of Ainsworth chapter of Rose Croy for the Scottish Rite of Portland. He has served on the Grand Lodge of Oregon's Long Range Planning Committee for over a decade and currently holds the rank of 32nd degree Knight Commander Court of Honor in the Scottish Rite. He immigrated from London, England as a boy and lives in the Portland area with his wife. And he's a commercial insurance agent by trade. So just to say, you know, you could be a Freemason and you can also have other roles in life. Richard, hello. Thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Hey, you bet, Jake. Good to be here. Yeah, it's really awesome that you're here. It's the 33rd episode. Everybody knows that's into esoteric things, mystical things that understands Freemasonry. The 33rd degree is the highest degree in Freemasonry. And this is the 33rd episode. So I, I needed to do an episode about Freemasonry and I'm so glad that we connected. You bet. Yeah. It's only, it's only fitting. Yeah. We're going to shed some light on Freemasonry. We're going to dispel some of the myths. We're going to talk about your personal journey in Freemasonry just so we can really help people understand what the purpose of Freemasonry is, what the role of Freemasonry is and if you're interested, how you can be a Freemason. There's so much we're going to talk about today. But first thing I want to ask you, Rich, how did you first hear about Freemasonry in your life? When did it first come into your consciousness? Um, that's an interesting question. But as far as the, the name of, of Masonry and uh, the organization as a phenomenon itself, I actually 
uh, discovered it through my martial arts academy that I was training at uh, while I was in college. And uh, some of my black belt trainers, the, the Waysons, and they just carried themselves really well. And, and they directed me to some, you know, I think one was like a History Channel documentary and um, another was some, some more uh, research-heavy books. And I just started to kind of peel the lid back. And uh, I liked what I found. So how would you describe Freemasonry to someone that never heard it before? Like, what is a Freemason? So what is a Freemason? Well, a Freemason, uh, you know, is a member of, of the Masonic fraternity. And um, the fraternity itself, you know, is basically a system of morals that is communicated through allegory and symbolism. And that's broken up into various degrees. So when you hear someone as a, you know, a master mason or a, a 32nd degree mason, it means that they've taken part in those degrees. Interesting. So can anyone become a Freemason? So it is a fraternity uh, and you have to apply. And then once you apply, uh, you get interviewed by members of the lodge that you apply to. And then after that, uh, you get voted on in open lodge, and it has to be a unanimous vote. And then, uh, you know, if, if you're elected to receive the first degree, uh, you're welcomed, and uh, you get to start your journey. So how did you know you wanted to become a Freemason? So you found out about it, you were interested in it, and then what was the first step for you? Did you go to a lodge and apply? Um, yeah, so I so I, I found a member of a local lodge, and I just I think I just googled it, um, and uh, then I got in touch with them, and I got an application. Um, but then once I, I had the application, I actually didn't turn it in for a few years. Really? Actually, um, yeah, I did a lot of research because because there is a lot of sort of you know weird things that that are out there on the internet and slander and stuff like that. And so it actually kind of made me hold off from applying for a while because I wanted to kind of make sure I was making the right decision. Um, and so then I, at the same time, though, I, I was reading books by Masons, um, such as Manly Palmer Hole, and uh, really enjoying it. Um, and so eventually I, I basically just got swayed by the writings of people who were Masons, you know, Oscar Wilde, um, you know, people right. like that. And uh, I really just enjoyed it. And I was like, heck, you know, it's, it's worth a try. Um, so I, I started the journey and uh, I've, I've never regretted it. So a lot of people talk about the fact that the rituals are secret and, you know, you're not really supposed to talk about the inner workings of how things function. But was there like kind of an application process? Did you have to meet certain criteria before they allowed you in? Um, I mean, the application itself, you know, asks you to affirm uh, your support for the Constitution. Okay. And um, the also, American Constitution, right? Is that what you're mm -hmm. talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, I've, and I've, I'm a member of the American system, so uh, I've never applied anywhere else. I'm, I'm an affiliate with, with different lodges internationally, but... Um, so you're part of you the know, American I'm, system of lodges. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then part of that is affirming your oath to the constitution because they are America based. Yeah. And also, you know, it's, it's, um, Masonic uh, principles, 
you know, they're, they were, they're very intertwined with the Enlightenment principles. Right. Uh, you know, the, the sacredness of the citizen, uh, things like that. So that that's kind of, you know, big correlation there. You know, I noticed when I did research that one of the qualifications was that you had to be free and of good repute. So in the 21st century, how is that defined? Um, I think just having no like mercenary motives, you know, not, not being beholden to, uh, you know, any sort of negative motivation. Okay. That's how I define that. So essentially if someone, let's say had a criminal record, like a, you know, for whatever reason, nonviolent, let's say like a drug offense or something like that, but then they wanted to become a Mason. They were good people and they had great character. So something like that would not disqualify you. Right. No. Yeah. And that, you know, that, that's state by state, how they write, um, you know, their code, but in, in Oregon, that doesn't disqualify you. Um, it is something that, that should be discussed, you know, just to understand the character of a person. Um, right. and I believe, I believe in the fine print, if you have like an active felony investigation, um, that stops you from being able to apply. Sure. And uh, most lodges do do a background check. But we're, we're also understanding of, of humanity, you know, and, and masonry is about making people better. So, you know, if people are honest, you know, we'll, we'll you know. Yeah, it we'll seems equal. like yeah. it's about growth it's about personal development it's about these things this outreach so if a person made mistakes early on in life they can't be judged for the rest of their lives if they've grown changed and become something different right so speaking of that how did freemasonry help you personally evolve um i mean it's it's one of the best decisions i've ever made honestly um you know personally i i came out of college and there, there were just really no opportunities for, uh, for work or, or self-development or any sort of leadership. And, um, you know, through my lodge, I was able to get involved with all kinds of charitable activities. Um, I helped with, with marketing and, and um, just, just helping to kind of connect the dots between different generations that were members of the group. And it, it kind of gave me that... Um, ability to kind of sharpen my teeth in a, in a nonprofit environment, um, in a charitable way. Um, you know, the lodge is made up of different officer chairs. Uh-huh. So each officer chair has a responsibility. So being able to, you know, uh, be mentored by these other guys that have been successful, um, in whatever the course of life is. Um, it was, yeah, it was, it was really nourishing. So you feel like, having these people around you that were giving of themselves in a nonprofit sense, like you said, they were being generous, you know, they were helping their fellow man. And then at the same time, they were coaching you with some of the things that they learned in life. That is an, is one way that it helped you evolve, but in a deeper spiritual sense, is there something that it helped activate within you as well? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, without getting too much into the weeds, it's, it's, uh, each degree, you know, has a, a story or, um, objective to it. Uh-huh. And, and by running your mind, you know, through those paces, um, you, you're kind of left with an impression 
and uh, each degree is different, and it, it just uh, kind of leaves its mark on you, so to speak. You just you just see things slightly differently. So essentially, each degree that you participate in tweaks your inner frequency, your perspective, your whole being in such a way that you're not the same person afterward and each degree does it in a unique way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like holding up a, a gemstone to the, the stem, you know, and you see it like get reflect, reflected in different ways. Do you work up each degree in a singular way? Like, is it go one to two to three to four or there, are there jumps you can make? Oh, you can't, you can't jump. Um, you go, you go one through three and that's, that's your blue lodge. So that's like your community center. That's who's going to do scholarships for the kids and food drives and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then from there, once you're a master mason, um, you can connect with any lodge around the world, which is awesome. And then you can also become uh, like a York Rite member, a Scottish Rite member or a Shriner. And uh, you can be all of those or one of those. And uh, they just have different focuses and different uh, bodies of degrees. So and then, when you hit that fork well, in the road, sorry to stop you there, but when you hit that fork well, in the road, do each of those paths lead to a version of the 33rd degree? No, no. The 33rd degree is, is the Scottish Rite system. Um, the shrine just has their own shrine degree. Okay. And then the York Rite, the York Rite's highest degree is the Templar degree. Okay. So really the Scottish right in a way not to put people in a hierarchy, but it seems like it goes higher than the other forms of Freemasonry. Kind of. I mean, really the, the, the highest degree is the master Mason degree, which is the degree. And then from there you kind of branch out into different areas of study and uh, just kind of, forms and customs and, and uh, like parallel in a way. Interesting. So would you say that Freemasonry then is outside of religion, even though it's a system, it has rituals, it's, it, it's uh, open to all religions. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you, you do have to believe in a higher power of some kind, uh, some kind of benevolent uh, higher power. Like a supreme um, being. Yeah, exactly. To, okay. to be a, to be a, I should have mentioned that earlier. No, no, no. That's <laughs> to, to, part of the deal. Hey, we're just hanging out. It's great. <laughs> no worries. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so you, you don't, you don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to be a certain religion. Um, in, in America, it's, it's, you do get the Judeo-Christian parallels, a lot of biblical verse. Um, but Masons take truth as the truth, whether it comes from any religion, the truth is the truth. And, uh, in Scottish Rite, you know, we have everything, every kind of degree, you know, in religion represented. That's amazing. That's it's pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. It seems like it's really, it's really open to everyone. And it's really just about expanding, about tapping into spiritual things and, and growing more. But, um, we do talk about this open to everyone, but technically it's not open to women. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's a fraternity. So then is there a variation of Freemasonry that is open to women? Uh, there's Eastern star and there's daughters of the Nile, uh, the white shrine, 
Rainbow Girls, so there's, there's female groups. Um, the Grand Lodge of England, I believe, has female Masonic lodges as well. Okay, I did have a relative um, uh, that's part of the Daughters of Job, I think. Is that one of them? Oh, Job's Daughters. Yes, yeah, that's yeah they're, they're awesome. Okay, yeah, she, uh, you know, this was back in the 50s, though. Very cool. Yeah, they're still around. They're, they're busy doing their work. So yeah. Still- so really, isn't that the the purpose of Freemasonry? You know, as we talk about this, I mean, really, is it it's rooted in service, right? Isn't that the whole thing? Just like figuring out how to do better, figuring out how to grow, and then from there, figuring out how to serve. Isn't that the purpose? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the meaning of life. You know, is is finding what makes you happy and then uh, figuring out how to give that to the world at large. But, uh, yeah, masonry, I mean, the, the metaphor of the quarry, you know, the working tools, you know, the square and compass, uh, these are all metaphorical tools um, that, that describe building and, and making things better. And so, you know, when we move from being operative masons of the past to being speculative masons of today, we move from, you know, making physical structures to instead being like a positive influence on ourselves and then also, you know, on the community in whichever way we can. Right. So it's really almost like a alchemical experience because you're, you're really becoming someone who's influencing the outside world with your, with your mind. Yeah. Yeah. How to apply yourself. And that, that's, what's really cool. If you look at the list of, Masons, you know, both run, you know, so all these different types of people, they take the understanding of masonry and then they do whatever they want with it. You know, it's just, just do something good with it and let it inspire you however it does. You know, let it be the wind at your back, so to speak. So getting back to Freemasonry in general, what is a lodge? Like if you were to describe what a lodge was in a basic sense, what would you say? Yeah, so... so is, is just a group of masons that, that meets uh, to do the first three degrees. Um, you know, functionally, they're a 501c10, you know, so they're, they're a non-profit organization. And um, the lodge confers degrees on, on people who want to be, uh, do charitable books in the community, or they host talks, you know, we, we get a lot of authors in and stuff like that, which is always nice artists, things like that. Yes. um, The Freemasons throughout history are, I mean, if you go down the list, they're some of the most amazing, influential people that have ever lived. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's something to the algorithm there that's, that's not, you know, a negative thing. I think it's a, it's a benevolence that's there where it's, it's, you know, whenever you, it's like you build it, they will come. If you build an institution that's dedicated to helping people get better and, you know, making the, the world a better place, it's going to draw good people in. So then let's say you're a Freemason. What does it take to start a lodge? Like, let's say you're in a remote location or you're in a place that doesn't have a lodge. Like, is it easy to start? No, it's not easy to start, but that, but that's for good reason. Um, but it's also, there is a process. Um, we get new lodges that pop up in Oregon, uh, you know, since I've been a member probably once every five years or so. And, um, you know, basically just you have to get the founding members together. You have to get a plan together. And then you uh, reach out to the Grand Lodge of Oregon. And they're the central governing body. 
and uh, you just ask for permission and, and go through the steps. And you had to get permission from them actually to come on this interview, right? Yeah. Because they don't really yeah. go a public a lot with a lot of their information. And I know not to ask too much about the inner workings. So I just know you're not allowed to talk about those things. I don't want to put you on the hot seat. But I do, like I said earlier in the show, I do want to help people understand that some of the negative things about Freemasonry are just sheer fiction. You know, it's things mm -hmm. that people have made up. Why is there such a strange pushback to Freemasonry where people instantly associate it with something negative or even as far as uh, Satanism? Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, the Satanist stuff goes back to the Taxol hoax. There was uh, this, I think it was a pen name, but it was this guy, Leo Taxol, who basically, I think somewhere around the 1800s, he started the whole Masonic Satan worshiping thing. And, you know, he basically just stuck around. But uh, there's the exact opposite of that. It and, seems that and, way to anyone that can literally just do about, about a surface level amount of research. It, it really doesn't take much to see the motivations. And yet those stigmas, those perceptions prevail. Is it because of the secretism, the secret rituals that somehow because of that, that, that could imply for some people something dark? Yeah, I think I think whenever there's a vacuum of information, you know, people will just kind of fill in whatever comes to mind, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and I think that's why it's important that you know you and I are having this conversation as well is is to put something else in that void and yeah, for uh, sure. shed some light on it. You know. So, uh, did it come from Freemasonry? Did it stem from older societies or? older brotherhoods from previous times? Um, so, it, you know, no one really knows how old Freemasonry um, actually is, but the symbols themselves um, go back thousands of years. I mean, the square and compass is, is a long-standing symbol, um, you know, death and resurrection, celestial symbolism, sacred geometry and temple building, you know, all those, all those things that are found within Freemasonry, you know, they've, they've been around since the dawn of antiquity. Um, in the current naming conventions of Freemasonry, um, you know, you've got the, uh, the Regis manuscripts, which dates back to at least the 1400s. Um, which actually mentions uh, Euclid teaching uh, geometry and temple building in Egypt, and that they came to England uh, during the reign of King Athelstan, uh, who reigned between like I think it was 1925 to 1939 AD. Um, you know, and so so you've got these sort of echoes in history, um, but then really the the Gothic temple builders. Um, of the Middle Ages was where we see the operative Masons and they move towards speculative Freemasonry, you know, during the Renaissance. So really it stretches back to as far back as human history can go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird question because, you know, it's like a rose is a rose by any other name. Right. And so it's like, you, you've got these, these groups that have, 
use the symbolism of building and of like harmony and things like that throughout, you know, such a long period of time that it's, it's, you know, it's like a rose is a rose by any other name. Right. It almost seems like, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. You know, was was founded in 1717, so that's where a lot of people sort of stop there, so to speak. But I think it is important to to look at the echoes in history, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it goes back to the original mystery schools where there were people that had knowledge based on their own experiences and passed that higher knowledge down to certain people that were ready for it. Because it seemed like from what I've read throughout history is that knowledgeable people, spiritually knowledgeable people tried to give this spiritual knowledge to people on mass, like everybody, but then some people just didn't understand what it was. So they just kind of threw it out. So it got whittled down to a point where you had to be ready to receive the information. And then those people were chosen and they were able to be noticed by the people that were teaching it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to say it. You know, it's really interesting because it's really spiritually advanced knowledge. And in order to truly grasp it, you have to have your own self created personal development. Do you think that that's something that's a big part of Freemasonry is teaching people how to be, self-motivated how to be disciplined and how to create from within yeah yeah definitely um you know like going back to the chairs of the lodge each each chair of a lodge is a different officer and they have a different responsibility in it it could be as simple as the steward's role which is you know making sure that uh you have everything stocked for for meals afterwards and, and tying things up or it could be, you know, the worshipful master who is essentially like the CEO or the president of the lodge. Um, and each one of those roles has a personal responsibility, but is different, so essential to the lodge. Um, so, yeah, so it's definitely, it's basically all about responsibility. And then you sort of get these like hidden gems of experience and relationships that just kind of help you do better yeah exactly yeah so each lodge you could say has its own kind of vibe right it's got its own Mm -hmm. leader and its own other members and it's kind of specific so then could you say that there were some lodges that were kind of aligned with light and love and maybe some other lodges around the world that maybe have taken a darker path or maybe have taken a wrong turn? I mean, I think with any organization that's as large and as old as, you know, as masonry, like I think it's, it's bound to, to happen, but it's how it gets dealt with, you know, by the institution and, and by the organization that, that really matters. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't think of any examples right now, but, you know, essentially you've got the grand lodge that would, um, you know, pay a visit, let's say, to a given lodge that uh, was not operating the way it should. And then, uh, you know, there's various committees and review processes within a grand lodge uh, that that would look at that very closely. 
And then you essentially would have your charter pulled. Your charter is your ability to operate a lodge. You know, it's an official document that actually sits on the altar in the middle of the room. And so the Grand Master would take that from that lodge and they would cease to exist. So they'd have no influence locally or they would not be able to receive any help from other lodges at that point once the charter was pulled? Yeah, I mean, essentially their lodge would, would cease to exist and anyone that, that operated, uh, continued to operate under that previous lodge would be essentially kicked out of masonry. So are there rogue lodges out there that feel that they were unjustly slighted or whatever their perspective is and they're still operating even though they had their charter pulled? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I assume so. There's, there's none that comes to mind, but, you know, as a Mason, they do tell you about clandestine uh, lodges and warn you against that, you know, so they kind of, you know, the, the, the ability to have, like, good Masonic ritual and to have, like, all the important details that are there and to share wisdom appropriately, you know, it needs, it needs to go through a chain of custody, Right. And so that's why, you know, that's why it's very strict. So the clandestine lodges, they're out there and they're operating outside of Freemasonry, but are they recruiting people in the same way? I don't know. Okay. Um, I would, I would, I mean, I would assume, you know, there's a percentage, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's what can you do <laughs> right for sure no i mean they're just like you said i've often brought up on the show because we have had manly p hall's recordings on various episodes where we listen to an episode and we talk about what he said and i have an incredible amount of respect for manly p hall i think he's a genius times 10 spiritual genius i, yeah. I could go on and on and on and on and on i've listened to hundreds of his recordings and I just love everything that comes out of that guy's mouth. He's there and he's teaching people and we appreciate Freemasonry because of that, because he's there out there doing that. And yeah, there's other people though that really want to, I don't know. They want to paint Freemasonry as something negative. And why would that be? Why is that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. The, the human condition is a complicated one. You know, we, we battle with ego, we battle with envy, we battle with fear. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's why the tragedies are still, still relevant, you know, Shakespeare. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, I think like earlier, you know, it's, it's the, if there's a vacuum of information, people will try and fill it with, whatever's there. And generally speaking, people fear the unknown. And so I think, you know, it is important that, that people visit, um, you know, the works of, of Masonic authors or, um, you know, check the websites that Mason's actually put out and see, see what it is from the source that we're saying right. and then form a decision. Yeah. Because, and, and just like anything else, there's good people, there's bad people, and like you said, in any organization, I mean, you could think of police, military, uh, firefighters, ambulance, Peace Corps, the Red Cross, mm -hmm. literally every single organization you could possibly think of because of the human condition, you're going to find people that make incredibly great choices and people that make incredibly bad choices. So, and you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater 
You can't let one rotten apple ruin the whole bunch. And I think that's what's been going on with Freemasonry. Yeah. So let's say like, uh, you know, you're in Freemasonry. Do you then get access to a pool of resources other than what's in your local lodge as far as members and the connections there? Like if you got in trouble, is there legal help that would be there for you based on your Masonic membership or something of that effect? Um, not, not that I'm aware of. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I mean, you, you get people in all sorts of professions that are Masons. And so as you get to know each other, you might, you know, meet a lawyer or something like that. Um, but as far as an institutional benefit, the greatest thing that I've seen is actually scholarship uh, funds and then also medical support funds. And we, I've had the pleasure of uh, being on a, a board of directors for the Clark Trust in uh, the Scottish Rite in Portland. And we basically give away money that's the yield of a, a trust. And it basically started the trust and then the, the yield from those initial funds go into these funds, uh, basically. And uh, we give them to the general public as well as, um, you know, Masons. And if, if you basically if you have medical bills that are outstanding that, that you really can't pay, um, then, then the trust will, uh, you know, potentially cover that. And then we have scholarship funds. So th those are the biggest institutional benefits that I've seen. And then, you know, sort of the other benefit is just getting to know everybody and having a, a multi-generational group of people to, to kind of get advice from. Right. And you brought up the fact that uh, Freemasonry exists in a way that has these morals woven into the experience. Because it really isn't about one specific spirituality like we talked about earlier, but it's about helping people understand morals and the ethical understandings that come from that. Is that something that yeah. they really, really kind of drill home and push is the, the moral development? It's in everything. It's, it's, it's in absolutely everything. It's completely saturated in uh, morality of different ways. So really it's just about trying to be a high frequency human, just trying to really make the best choices as much as you can. Yeah, definitely. I mean, whether, whether you're a plumber or a politician or, or what have you, um, you just live your life by the Masonic code, you know, open the door for people. If someone's hurt, try and help them, um, you know, be, be fair and measured in your words. Um, yeah, just, just kind of old school values, you know, that I think are kind of more relevant than ever today. Oh, definitely. It seems like they've been pushed aside almost intentionally in order to devolve us as a species and get us into a less morally state of living because somehow yeah. that helps us consume more goods. I'm not really sure the thinking behind all that, but it's definitely <laughs> prevalent that morals and ethics have been eroded over time by the various things out there like entertainment, uh, schools, institutions, things like that. They, we've really had a big shift away from the classical moral standpoint. Yeah. I mean, whether you call it karma, you know, or like goodwill towards fellow man. Um, but yeah, just, just meaning, meaning well, you know, like, you know, the Star Wars analogy, like being one with the force. Right. Exactly. So, you know, you're, you're at the 32nd degree. You're, you're almost at 33. So, so far, has there been anything 
where you felt like, wow, this is actually strange or has everything been like kind of fun and quirky or in that sense? Um, you know, there's, there's different symbolism, there's different ways of getting the point across. And so sometimes I've seen symbols that I might not have originally made the same associations with. Okay. So therefore it was strange and, and, you know, I was kind of like, what the heck? But then, you know, I learned the lesson, I think about it and I meditate on it. And, and then it's not strange. It becomes more familiar and it becomes, you know, the, the symbols are like an almanac. You know, they, they tell a story. Well, it's kind of like how the swastika was used for thousands of years as a spiritual, peaceful symbol. And then it was co- yeah. co-opted by Hitler and the Germans in World War II and turned into what it is now. But right. you're saying some of the symbols that may be perceived as darker, maybe even satanic by mainstream Christian religions are actually older and they have different meanings when used in a different context. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, some people say the swastika was actually Polaris rotating around as well. Right. Or the, uh, not, but, you know, the, the big dipper. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the pentagram is, is Venus in the sky, if you plot Venus. Um, you know, so there, you know, the skull, the skull is to remind you of your own mortality and nice. that nothing is, tomorrow's not promised, you know, so do good works today you know, those kind of things. But if you're not used to it, you're like, oh, there's a skull. Like, what does that mean? Poison? Or right. what have you. Right. Yeah. You just, it, it, you know, it could be scary in a way, but nothing really has really pushed you away where you felt like, wow, this is maybe not me, but so far everything's been perfect. Yeah. I've, I've really gotten a lot out of it and, and really enjoy the people that I meet. And it's just given me an opportunity amplify what I want to do in the world as far as helping other people and be curious and, you know, making friends and just kind of leaving a good mark on the world. For sure. And all those things are amazing qualities. Like everything that you've said so far syncs up with 99% of spiritual people's thinking. I don't understand. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how Freemasonry got these weird things attached to it. We talked about the history, but it's still, it still boggles my mind. Yeah, me too. So it took you how long to get from first degree to 32nd degree? Um, so, so the, basically you, you go through the first three degrees. And so everyone's kind of different. I think that took me about a, a year and you have to study each degree in between. There's, there's like a cipher, and um, it's it's good mental training, like memory training, to, to read the cipher. And so you go through that, and then um, you 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 receive the first degree of each body of the Scottish Rite. So you you're essentially a thirty second degree when you go through what's called the reunion. Okay. And um, you receive the first degree of each body, but you don't actually take part in all 32 degrees for another. Takes most people probably at least five years if they attend like every meeting. Um, so you're kind of 32nd degree in name once you join the Scottish Rite. 
but you actually don't truly get invested with all the degrees um, for quite a few years. And then beyond the 32nd is, is the Knight Commander Court of Honor, which is a, a, a degree that's uh, awarded beyond the 32nd. And that generally, you know, it's not guaranteed to anyone, but that can happen after about 10 years of service. And that's where you're at. So technically you're 32.5 in a way, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess ah. so, yeah. And that's amazing. So then how much longer until you're a 33rd degree? Um, it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed to anyone. I, I may never be a 33rd degree. It's really interesting because in the years of my life, I, I've done a little bit of research into Freemasonry. And over the years, I've read that two people that I know of got initiated into the 33rd degree of Freemasonry instantly. Only two people. One of them was Manly P. Hall. And the other one was Aleister Crowley. And it's really huh. interesting to think that they were able to get in instantly right at the 33rd degree. It's almost like they knew that they had reached a certain level of development and spiritual understanding. And that's really what it takes to get to the 33rd degree. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Um, but I, but I do know that it's, it's all about spiritual development and it's all about, um, you know, just, just service to the values of Freemasonry, whether, you know, directly or indirectly. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, the values of Freemasonry, like you said, are just basic human values that we should all be kind of doing anyway as a good human on earth. <laughs> right. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So there is this rumor. There is this rumor that at some point, and let's just totally dispel this rumor because I don't believe it's true, but let's just dispel this rumor. There's a rumor that when you reach the 33rd degree of Freemasonry, that they ask you to pledge allegiance to not Satan, but Lucifer, who, because he gave us, supposedly, in the biblical story, supposedly because Lucifer gave humanity self-awareness and uh, the light of knowledge, that somehow that that Lucifer figure was to be exalted as a hero and a savior of humanity. Now that's just a rumor. Have you heard anything about that? No, no, I've, I've never heard anything like that. Cause I personally don't agree with that. I, I don't think Freemasonry is involved in that or has that perspective, but many, many, many people throughout the years have talked about that and that being real. Hmm. Well, I, I know a lot of 33rd degree Masons and they're definitely not Luciferians. That's what I was thinking as well. I know that personally, but that's like I said, what we're here to do is dispel these rumors sure. that are out there about Freemasonry because it is dedicated to love and light. Would you say that Freemasonry is dedicated to love and light? Of course. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's why we can appreciate all religions and, you know, the various prophets that each religion has had. I mean, it's all service to God. Right. <laughs> Richard, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because <laughs> especially look, you, you look at my website, you go to the podcast website, you look at our guests, like we tap into a lot of the new age people, a lot of the new age thinking those principles. And let me tell you, 
you say the word Freemason in these new age circles and it's like, uh, you know, it's like the turd in the punch bowl. Like, it's like, you know, it's like you dropped a $5,000 glass or something. Everybody like sucks their breath in. You're like, <gasps> but I don't get it. I just don't get it. I, 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 I'm a spiritual person. I, I studied all of those things that these new age guests have studied. I don't see it. I don't see the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What would you say? a person could do, let's say they want to be a Freemason. They're like, okay, this sounds good. This is a good path for me. What would you tell somebody to do in preparation before even thinking of joining? Like what they could they do to tune their life before approaching a lodge to become a member? Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, mentally look for some Masonic books that uh, could maybe sort of prime the pump, so to speak. Um, so, you know, Manly Paul Hall, Secret Teachings of All Ages, I mean, that's kind of a go-to uh, for, for, you know, esoterically-minded Masons. Um, another option is, is honestly just to, to Google Masonic Lodges in your area and then see which websites come up or what's close to you. And then go visit a couple lodges and, and maybe maybe email the secretary, say, hey, I'm interested in setting up a, a meeting. And then go visit these guys. Most of the time you can sit down and eat with them and just get a feel for the group, get a feel for the lodge and, and see if that's the right lodge for you. And then and then start the process and, and go from there. And really, do you think there's like a dietary fitness that they can accomplish? Should they try to be healthier overall yeah i mean the the more masonry makes good men better and so you know it's not like you have to be perfect like don't don't try to you know be so so perfect that you know you you never make it to knock on the door of masonry like go into masonry with your warts and all and and let it let it make let it make you better i mean one of the great metaphors of masonry is is you know to use the working tools to break off the uh, superfluities of the stone, you know, to take a rough stone and make it into a stone that's smooth and beautiful, that can be part of the temple, you know, that, that there's a beautiful superstructure, you know. So, the, so don't, you know, delay by trying to be too perfect. You know, if you feel like you got the stirring in your gut to do it, go ahead and take the first step. Right. Cause like you said, it's all about refinement. Like it makes good men better. So in order to be a stone in the part of the temple, like you said, which is such a powerful statement, like you want to be the best, most polished stone you could be. You're already the stone, but you want to be the right. best stone. Right. So you think about all these famous Masons, George Washington, the founding fathers. I mean, you, you can go down the list. So is there any knowledge that's uh, within Freemasonry in these lodges that have been given to uh, the members about future predictions about where Freemasons think the world might go? No, not, not that I'm aware of. That'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> there was some secret knowledge about in the year 2510, it was revealed to us. Uh, like, Whoa. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that would be cool. And there's no extraterrestrial component either, right? No, no. 
the closest thing that, that kind of goes to all these these people that you mentioned is just that impetus to try and go out there and do something, you know, to try and instill instill that spark, you know, that light in the world, you know, and, and kind of light things up a little bit. Um, and I think that's that's one of the great mysteries of masonry is is that inspiration to, to go and do something. Right. And that really starts with the will. Is that something that Freemasonry kind of nurtures as well as is, is developing willpower and understanding how to create things with your mind? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. There's that's built the builder metaphor. Yeah. Tell me more about, about that. that. Um, well, you know, we're, we're the temple builders and, uh, you know, it used to be operative now it's speculative. So, you know, it's, it's how you think it's how you operate your business. It's how you communicate and, and you build that way, you know. Um, but the appreciation for, you know, symmetry, the golden ratio, um, you know, hermetic principles like as above, so below, and, and seeing these connections, it just kind of it enriches the world around you. Yeah, I mean, it really gets you outside of the third dimension, right? You're looking at this dimension, the third dimension from a spiritual perspective, you're able to gain that higher level of thinking, that higher level of perception, and then incorporate that into how you perceive your daily life. It really adds to your experience. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yeah, definitely. Do you ever think you'll retire from being a Freemason or is it something like once you're in, you can't retire, you're in for life. Um, I mean, you could, you could leave the fraternity, you know, if you wanted to, you, you could just, uh, send an email to the secretary or you could stop paying your dues and you'd eventually be, um, you know, you'd, you'd be, I forget the word, but you'd leave that way. Um, uh-huh. but, Discharged, uh, yeah, there's another word for it, but <laughs> okay. it doesn't come to mind. Um, and then, but, but what you see people do is, is they essentially retire from certain positions. So a lot of Masons that have been in the organization for a while, you know, will hold seats on different boards that administer like charities or, or activities, or, you know, maybe they hold a, a position that's, you know, with a lot of degrees. So they'll, they'll help to confer degrees, which is a lot of very in-depth ritual work you know, a lot of memorization and practicing and things like that. So you'll see people, you know, kind of take up a given mantle for a period of time and then retire from that position. But most, you know, most never retire from being an actual Mason. Right. And um, you did mention that you knew a lot of 33rd degree Freemasons. When you're around these people, do you pick up a specific vibe? Do they feel like higher frequency people? You know, in a weird way, they do. Um, you know, and they're, everyone's different. But, but yeah, I mean, that's that's someone who's who's put in a lot of time and intention into into their life and into the fraternity. And so they're all they all have a common thread of, of being hardworking, you know, mentor people. Right, and you said they did put in the time and. Earlier, you mentioned that a person that was dedicated would be going weekly, but let's say a person wanted to be a Freemason, but they had time constraints and they could only go bi-weekly or monthly, would then that make their growth in Freemasonry longer? 
Yeah, yeah, it would. Um, but each, each lodge meets at different times. So you might have a blue lodge that meets maybe once or twice a month, but then there'll be other activities that go on in, you know, spare time or maybe other meetings that would take place for a, a special reason. Um, so, you know, there's that, but then there's also, you know, the other groups that you could be a part of, such as Scottish Rite, and, you know, there's different meeting times there as well. So it all, all of the different groups kind of stack up your time. Um, and so, you know, as Masons, we're taught to have uh, eight hours for work, eight hours for refreshment, eight hours for service. So we always want to remind people to not give too much. Right. For the cable tow, you know, and how long is your cable tow? And if your cable tow gets too tight, then it means you might need to, you know, just time again. Yeah, you want to make sure and maintain that balance so you're functional. Like you said, you don't want to push yourself too much. Right. You don't want to burn out. <laughs> so in your time in Freemasonry, in a part of these rituals, have you ever witnessed anything that you would perceive as supernatural or paranormal or outside of the realm of physics? Um, I mean, I think... Humans are naturally metaphysical, and so by Freemasonry being so dedicated to the development of human, you know, good human traits and values, it's automatically mystical by nature of its interaction with the human. So when you see a candidate receive a degree of Masonry, I mean, you see a physiological change in them. Um, they, they get brighter. They, they just change their nature. Really? Um, yeah. So you're sure. saying their whole aura shifts and it's almost visible? Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for it, I say so, yeah. Wow. So that that's something you would say that you notice that's like really deeply spiritual about the experience. And it's, it's something that manifests as almost physical, like you could see it. Yeah. I mean, you, when, when people are going through the ritual, um, it affects them, you know, there's, there's, you know, a little bit of a, a call and response for lack of a better word, you know, of questions and answers and sometimes there's problems that they have to solve and, uh, it, it, it has a profound effect on people. So is there any groups that Freemasonry is a rival with? Like, like the polarity of Freemasonry where, where they're at each other's throats or actually at odds with each other. Not that I'm aware of. Um, yeah, not, not really. Um, okay. You know, previously Catholics weren't supposed to be Masonic, but I believe that papal bull was lifted. Yeah, I did read that um, actually. It was just about 10 years that Catholics were not allowed to be Freemasons for some reason, but then that was revoked. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And, um, yeah, we don't we don't really have any any rivals or, or adversaries or anything. Okay, so I mean, what are some of the things that you feel that people should know about Freemasonry that we haven't touched on in this conversation yet? Things that you feel like maybe need to be dispelled, or just basic general thoughts about Freemasonry. Um. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not satanic. It's, it's very ground in the enlightenment principles that, that, you know, built America, the idea of a, of a free and fair democracy, the idea of public service, 
um, the idea of, of just leaving the wool just a little better than you found it. Um, and then, you know, beyond that is that, you know, humans are naturally mystical, like our interaction with nature and God's creation and each other, like it's, it's mystical by nature, like we are spiritual beings. And so, you know, be open to that and look for that and, and you'll see magic in your life. Yeah. And that's really outside of, like you said, any religion or any specific spiritual understanding. It's, it's universal. Right. Does Freemasonry though, when it comes to politics, does Freemasonry involve itself in any type of governmental system, whether it's uh, capitalism or socialism, or do they just kind of stay out of that realm of the world? Yeah, we, we're not allowed to discuss uh, politics or religion in, in Lodge. We basically approach it that, you know, we teach the moral lessons, and then every member is free to just apply that in, in the best way they know how. So they're allowed to kind of just live it, per se, and just kind of like express themselves, but not in a way that's trying to coerce other members or influence other members to think a certain way. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had, you know, Masonic presidents and governors and, and they're all from different parties and it's, it's basically just take your, your own Masonic experience and, and it's, it's yours to push here and then go out into the world in the way that you see fit. So it's, it's, we don't affiliate with a given party or anything like that, but just certain principles. So is Freemasonry growing right now worldwide? Is the membership swelling? Where are we at with that? Yeah, it is. It is decreasing. Decreasing. Um, yeah, it is. It is decreasing. We've seen um, a lot of deaths versus the new members coming on. But what we have seen is that the new members coming on are much harder working, um, much higher participation level, uh, much smarter so they're kind of making up for a greater swath of membership that maybe we've lost but wasn't able to contribute as much maybe due to age or something. Well, how can Freemasonry attract new members in the digital age, this age of Instagram and iPads and instant information and cell phones? Have, has Freemasonry updated itself in that sense? Yeah, definitely. And that's, that's one thing that I've uh, been really happy to assist with. Um, if you look up Oregon Freemasonry on YouTube, a lot of those videos um, I helped to make and, you know, just basically tell that story of, of who we are and, and, you know, the, the story that we're telling hasn't really changed, but it's just the means with which we do it. Um, and, and the, you know, the symbolism and the, the story, it's a beautiful, vivid story and beautiful vivid symbolism. So it's just a question of kind of retooling things. And so the, the younger generations, you know, the millennials and Gen Z, they're kind of coming in and listening to, you know, the older generations and then sort of, you know, re-envisioning what they're being told to, to the public now in modern sense. Right. And are they using techniques to recruit people or is it still kind of in the sense that because of the memberships decreasing, they still want to maintain the position of non-recruitment? Well, we don't recruit, we don't recruit, but we do give the opportunity for people to apply. 
Right. So, but, but, but you don't have it, people like, let's say at a university, maybe handing out information or literature, even though you're not trying to recruit just, just to inform people. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, to my knowledge, we don't have anyone doing that. Is that a concern then with the decreasing membership? It, it seems like from a mathematic point of view, without people understanding it in this time of instant information and, you know, things being refreshed so quickly in the general consciousness without that constant reminder, it could fall away, especially with the decreasing membership. Is that a concern for Freemasonry right now? Um, I mean, it's definitely something that we're monitoring. I mean, we have, we have like Facebook, uh, advertisements and, you know, YouTube videos and, um, websites and things like that that are out there, okay. but also, yeah, but also though, it's, it's not about volume. It's, it's about vol- the value of, of the experience and the people that we're getting. Like we don't, we don't just want member numbers purely for, for the, the numbers themselves. Um, it's, it's really about who can internalize the information and be a good representative and, and be a good asset to, to the group as far as, you know, conferring degrees and, and living a good life. Yeah. Quality over quantity, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and who knows, you know, as we become an interplanetary species, you know, we're going to Mars within the next 20 years. Um, do you see Freemasonry really just staying with humanity as it develops over centuries? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, the, the, you know, the navies of, uh, of yesteryear brought Masonry in various countries. And, you know, the stories of Christopher Columbus, uh, seeing native Americans here that were actually doing Masonic degrees in Welsh. Um, the moon is actually under the wait, ground. Wait, wait, wait. Can, can you back up on that, Rich? What was that? <laughs> that was really interesting. What you just said. Could you back that up with the Christopher Columbus comment? Tell me that again. I, I don't know if I said Christopher Columbus, but Lewis and Clark. Oh, Lewis when, and Clark. When they came, yes. Yeah, when they when they came to America, they they reported seeing uh, meeting Native Americans who were actually practicing Masonic rituals in Welsh. In Welsh, so that means that someone had taught them, some explorer or someone through in history somewhere. Yeah. Ah, man, that's so interesting. Yeah, and then and then back to interplanetary. Um, the Grand Lodge of Texas is actually the jurisdiction. The moon is under the jurisdiction of the Grand Lodge of Texas. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> well, it is actually reported that uh, Neil Armstrong was a Freemason. That's pretty well known, and he did perform supposedly a Masonic ritual on the moon. Right, right, and the only way to do that is under. The jurisdiction of a lodge and so that came under uh texas wow that's really interesting to think about they're thinking ahead it's almost like they know what's coming right because a lot of these people that are deep in freemasonry are also in these positions and roles throughout the world so maybe they have access to some of this knowledge about what's coming at least as far as scientific and uh sociological developments yeah, I mean, I'd say chances are that that's true. And then also there's there's just a sense of excitement. Like, I think any Mason would love to open Lodge on a 
on the moon or Mars or <laughs> what have you. <laughs> yeah, the first one that does it, it's going to be very, very famous. Um, yeah. <laughs> so in the end, um, are there specific Masonic funerary rites if a a uh, 33rd degree Mason passes. Is there a specific funerary ritual that has to happen? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't. Well, uh, the, the Rose Croy, which is part of Scottish, Rite, We have a beautiful ceremony called the ceremony of remembrance and renewal. And it's actually a public ceremony. It's one of the few, like really beautiful public ceremonies that we do. And it's, um, Job's daughters actually helps us out with it. It's a, it's a flower-driven ceremony where the, the flower represents the soul of, of everyone who's passed away that year. And uh, we have s- just some, some light metaphors um, around, you know, the, the soul and its representation of light and the flower and, you know, how the flower dies, but the, the spirit of the flower lives on. Right. Um, so that, that's one thing that we do in the Scottish Rite. Um, and then the Blue Lodge has a very, very beautiful uh, funeral procession and uh, statements that are made. And it's one of the most moving things you can ever watch. Wow, because it is based in ritual and it has been dialed in over thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. And that's the beautiful thing about ritual. You know, it's like every time it gets said, it kind of gets like thicker and heavier and, uh, you know, kind of more powerful. Well, do you think that there's a magical component to Freemasonry where, where the ritual actually invokes some form of magical energy? I mean, I think by nature of, of communicating with God and, and praying together and humans being mystical by nature, you know, just like you know, Jesus said, um, it naturally is magical. And we naturally are invoking the spirit of well, you know, we call the, the great architect of the universe. Wow. What an incredible, incredible thing to think about. I mean, it, it really is, uh, you know, when you're in an authentic spiritual situation and it is ritualistic, there is that magical energy there. And you get these people that have dedicated their life to this type of understanding. And man, I bet the vibes can be very intense sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, the, the privilege of being a member of a lodge that's uh, kind of more traditional in the way they operate as far as, you know, candlelight and incense and uh, tuxedos and things like that. And like that level of intention uh, really just goes a long way to, to set the tone and really just make the lodge experience as good as it can be. So if a Freemason passes and they have a son, does the son inherit any of the titles or any of the degrees of the father at all? No, no, but, but there is uh, charitable, uh, you know, resources available for like the wife, widow, mother, daughter, children, um, if, if that's required. But yeah, there's no titles that get passed down. That's in the, you know, child would have to own themselves. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, you know, it's not like they had gone through the ritual, so you didn't, wouldn't just want to give it to someone blindly. Yeah. But, but I tell you what, I mean, a, a ring, a well-worn ring, um, certificates, 
you know, precious books. I've, I've got a few, you know, hundred year old books, um, you know, 200 year old, I got a 200 year old book with, you know, Masonic ritual, like all those things that heirlooms and those are inspiring to offspring, you know, and, and sometimes it kind of can act like a talisman to kind of stoke the excitement for them to, to follow a similar path. Yeah, definitely. They can feel the energy, like you said, a talisman and they're just feeling it and it may, uh, motivate them. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I mean, the curiosity, the curiosity and the, the ornate designs, I mean, it's all layered, layered information. It's not just designs for the sake of designs. And is there anything that the Freemasons really don't want release like if, if a 33rd degree mason passed and they had their books like a 33rd degree freemason manual or something is that something that would get confiscated back just because it was it was such sensitive information yeah i mean really uh you know the ritual shouldn't be circulated um to non-masons basically um you know stuff gets out from time to time but you know it's it's something that masons themselves should you know, no, don't sell your books to the, you know, the local bookshop and <laughs> get them back to a library. That's, <laughs> you know, the Scottish Rite Library or something like that. Well, there is a lot of stuff that is out there, but based on your experience, would you say that there are, to this day, rituals and understandings from Freemasonry that have not been released to the mainstream, you know, whether it was leaked or whatever, there are things that are just not out there? Oh yeah, for sure. And and also, I mean, there's, there's a lot of silos with the degrees and you, you kind of have to put the bits and pieces together of the degrees to, to sort of figure it all out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's multifaceted. And does it ever feel like a psychedelic experience when you're in these rituals and the energy's there and the magic's there? Does it ever really feel like, like psychedelic? Like it's like elevating, like you're almost like you're on a some sort of a powerful drug. Uh, I hate to use not, the word drug. Really. Like, you know, just like very spiritually elevating. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there's times that you definitely get emotional. There's, there's times that, um, you know, you feel sadness, you feel excitement. Um, you know, there's, We'll, we'll use, you know, incense and, and candlelight and different, you know, symbols that, that are going on during a lecture or a degree. And, you know, by nature of sitting there and being calm and, and hearing the words or interacting with the degree, that those are all triggers. You know, those are all, um, you know, they, they instigate a certain state of mind. Right, right. So they're there for a purpose in order to do that. Right. Yeah, exactly. So let's say somebody's in Oregon and they want to become a Freemason. Tell them the process. We'll start with Oregon. And because we have listeners nationwide and, of course, worldwide, we're now up to 35 countries. We'll talk about that. But nice. let's start with, yeah, I know. It's amazing. I love the fact. Congrats. That, thank you. I love the fact that there's this information getting out there 
around the world in that way. And when I see the country list, when I look at my stats and I see the country list and it goes up and up and up and it's up to 35, I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. I'm actually doing really well in Belgium right now. Thank you all my oh, Belgian nice. listeners. I love Belgium. Thank you so much. But you're in Oregon, so you want to start out. What's the first move? You just go straight to a lodge and figure it out? What would you say? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's 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 just kind of like solve the problem, and but just show you math, you know. So you could go to a lodge directly, or you could also go to our website, which is uh, masonic-oregon.com. Okay, that's masonic-oregon.com. Correct. Okay. And then there's a lodge locator that's on that side as well. Um, so you know that you're actually finding a, a true masonic lodge and nothing clandestine oh okay because the clandestines one like you said they're out there they could even be advertising on the internet as if they're an official lodge right right oh, wow, exactly. that's really interesting so that is a little bit of a controversy in freemasonry that there's these clandestine lodges that are just operating outside of the true freemasonry system right oh man right. that's yeah. wild but okay, so then you're outside of Oregon, you're in one of these 35 countries or around the world, you go to beafreemason.org, is that correct? And that will start to point you in the right direction? Right, yeah, and that's, that's kind of a, a, all of the lodges kind of come together under that website. So you go there, beafreemason.org, internationally you can check that out or actually you can be anywhere and check that out if you're in oregon you go to masonic-oregon.com and you can find it there masonic-oregon.com and rich is there anything you want to leave us with we're creeping up at the end of the interview it's been so amazing it's been so enlightening and we just kind of scratched the surface of what freemasonry is but we really gave people a clear and concise overview, I feel like, but is there anything else you can add to what we talked about before we go? Um, you know, not really. I, I've really enjoyed this opportunity to speak with you, Jake. I think you Thank have you. an awesome show and yeah, let's just put more good out in the world, you know, whether it's through masonry or, or another path, you know, there's many paths to the mountaintop. Um, masonry is just one of them. But, uh, yeah, just, just put good out in the world and, and we'll get through all this. Exactly. How can we argue with that people? Rich, hold <laughs> on the line and I'm going to talk with you a little bit more. Everyone we will see you next week. Midnight on earth. 